Hi, I'm Rachel McElroy. Hey, I'm Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Yeah, it is. Wow, that goes down smooth. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a show we do where we talk about things that we like, things that we're into. Uh, and today we're going to focus mostly in on a location that has, I would say, a um, wonderful stuff density that is not measurable with the tools that science has developed so far. It's Des Moines. It's Des Moines. It's Des Moines. <laughs> I, uh, is it I, Iowa? <laughs> Iowa, Okay, <yes>. cool. <laughs> We're going to talk about St. Louis. <laughs> now who's fishing for a right? <laughs> I, I shouldn't have said shit because that's all that's this episode is going to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, as you all know, or maybe you don't, I don't know you, um, Rachel was created here in St. Louis. That's an unfortunate way to talk it's about a it. Beautiful, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing that happened. <laughs> and uh, it's, it, how is it performing in your, in your hometown so far? I know we've only been going about 90 seconds. Um, could, and then let me tell you, because I've done this a lot, it can turn on a dime. <laughs> this crowd will eat you up and spit you out at the first sign of weakness. I feel like I really sh specifically should have invited the teachers I had that didn't believe in me. Yes. Um, are there any, sorry, are there any <laughs> teachers here that didn't believe in Rachel in the audience tonight? <laughs> well, that's a shame. No, it's incredible. This is the best thing ever. Okay, good. I'm so <laughs> glad. Uh, this is, yeah, we talk about good stuff on this show. Do you have any small wonders before, about St. Louis specifically? Because mm. mm. we've had a pretty whirlwind tour oh, of good I have stuff. One. Okay. I have one. So we went to the Blues game last night. Yes. And it was incredible. Yes. Uh, Rachel got me front row seats for my birthday. It was... Intense. Which was kind of a gift for me, if we're going to yeah. be honest. Um, and I really like how they let everybody sing the national anthem together. I that got was, a little You got weepy, up. which like, I I've never known. I've never, no. I, I, whenever I talk about you to you don't people say who patriot? don't know, I, I don't say my patriot wife. <laughs> That's typically not the, what I think of. That's not what I leap to. It's just very lovely. Yeah, I'll tell you what's lovely is David Perron's incredible straight teeth. Yeah. That man's teeth belong in a museum. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say the City Museum. That's not on your list, is it? Yeah. I, I've been there exactly once, uh, like five years ago or so, during a... Oh, even longer than that, because it was before Henry was born. Uh, and it was during like an adults-only time, which meant that I could have some beers. <laughs> and partial nudity. And partial nudity. <laughs> and one... F word. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking like, this building's so wild. It's so cool. Look at all those tiny holes. I'll never go in those. And then we took our kids to it today and they were like, we're going in those tiny holes. And I was like, oh, shoot. Because um, it's the city museum. You might come out like a mile and a half away. You might climb out of like a, a, <laughs> a toilet at some apartment building. 
and another zip code. Like, I have to go with you there. I also felt it really necessary to make sure that our son understood that it was not like a boring museum. You know, There was like, no convincing him until he walked in. He was like, this is it? <laughs> like, you're not going to have to learn anything here if you don't want to. No. Instead, you're going to challenge your dad to fit in the smallest holes. <laughs> I got in one that looked like a good a Griffin-sized hole. <laughs> this hole was made for me. And I, I wiggled down into it, and then I realized that it had sort of an elbow curve into a much smaller hole. So I got down there, I was like, oh, actually, no. And then I realized, oh no, I have to hoist my body weight back up onto a surface for the first time since mm, middle school? And it sucks. Anyway. We did rock, paper, scissors backstage to decide who goes first, and I won. So uh, I'm going to start out by talking about one of the best things, I think, to come out of St. Louis, uh, kind of, and that is kindergarten. Kindergarten. Kindergarten was a thing before it came to St. Louis, uh, obviously. It, the, the word translates in German to garden of children, <laughs> which I thought is what it would be as like a joke, like... And that, of course, means child garden, thinking there's no way it, mean, it means child garden. <laughs> um, early age school that focused on, like, practical kid stuff and not math, which is not practical in any way whatsoever. I think we can all agree. Do you, uh, um, do you want to talk about the Griffin McElroy kindergarten experience? It was dope. It was awesome. <laughs> I had some trouble with tying my shoes. We got graded on tying our shoes, and I really struggled with it, but it's always nice to kind of have, like, a goal, like a target. Um, but, like, I also got graded on skipping and galloping, and I beat ass at those. So I feel I would get an M for mastery of... I won't do it now, no matter yeah, how hard see, you cheer. I thought... But if I, if I could gallop a hole through the wall... I'd like to walk everyone. I'd like to walk everyone through a brief history of me trying to stunt on stage at live shows. <laughs> I have beefed it no less than three times on stage. Uh, so uh, it was a thing, right? This this like practical learning for youngsters uh, existed like all the way back in like the the 18th century in Bavaria and France and Germany. Uh, there was this dude named Friedrich Frobel who was uh, a big like influencer. On, on social media, uh, <laughs> specifically about kindergarten and, and early education. And he was like, what if we did school where you got graded on tying your shoes instead of math? And everyone was like, yes, please. Uh, and it spread like wildfire because kindergarten's great. Uh, but it wasn't standardized in the United States like at all. Um, the first U.S. kindergarten opened in Wisconsin in 1856. It was taught in German. Uh, and then there were a couple of, of other ones. There was one free kindergarten that was uh, pretty cool. Um, I don't know where it was, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> because in 1873, uh, St. Louis's own Susan Blow was like, let's do this shit right. Uh, and she was the daughter of this like turbo-rich family. Uh, that was, like, really into education. And so she, like, focused all of her education about that. Uh, she went to Germany to study the transcendentalists and then met some folks who were like, hey, we're over here grading kids' shoe-tying abilities. you got to check this out. <laughs> this is... Is this... 
this is what you think kindergarten is, is just shoe tying and skipping. And learning how to sing Row, Row Your Boat in a round. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's more or less it. Uh, and she was like, wow, these kids singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat sound amazing. Uh, I got to bring this to St. Louis. And uh, she did. Her dad offered to pay for a private kindergarten. And she said, no, we're going public with it. Daddy. And she paid out of pocket. She uh, paid out of pocket for it to pay like all of the the people who volunteer their time. Which she volunteered teachers all her time. still do today? Which teachers? Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and they, after like a couple of years, like the school board wanted to like shut it down because it hadn't, uh, you know, it wasn't proving to be like the most stable thing. But more and more and more people came out to volunteer, and within ten years, every public school in uh, in St. Louis had a kindergarten program, uh, and that seed sort of spread like very very quickly across the whole country. And now we have kindergarten everywhere. Uh, and that's just amazing. I think it's as somebody who, you know, uh, our oldest son is going to start kindergarten this fall, uh, and like knowing that he will have a year that's like, hey, here's how school works. Here's how you tie your shoes. Here's how you tie your shoes. He's going to be good at skipping a gallop. Like, yes. he has the blood in <laughs> yeah. him. Um, but yeah, I just like that there was the, it was the last time I learned practical stuff in school was kindergarten. <laughs> and. It was very practical. I don't know where I'd be today. I would be shoeless on stage or with cool Velcro shoes or Crocs. <laughs> Which says a lot. Which says a lot. It's the only thing keeping me from wearing Crocs is how proud I am that I finally <laughs> mastered tying my own shoes. What's your first thing? All right. So I want to talk about uh, somebody that is not exactly a hometown hero, but is associated with a hometown uh, beverage. Okay. And that is one Spuds McKenzie. Wow. You know you know this city. I do. You know what they need. <laughs> uh do you have do you have any connection to Spuds? Uh as a dog? Yeah. Done. End <laughs> end of list. Uh, yeah, so this was this was maybe a little before your time. Yeah, what was it like, nineteen seventy five? No, because do- I'm sorry, this is going to get a boo from the audience, but dogs only live so long. <laughs> so Spuds retired in nineteen eighty nine. Okay, so two years out. Yeah, I was watching a ton of beer commercials when I was two. Uh huh. Uh, Spud started in 1983 on Bud Light posters in Chicago, uh, specifically aimed at beer drinkers aged 21 to 34. Because you it know, was a cute dog. They were yeah, probably yeah, shooting yeah, yeah. for the 12 year old market too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was definitely a criticism when the like the T-shirts and the stuffed animals started to come yeah. out. It was basically a cute Joe Camel. Uh-huh. Then nationally, Bud Light first introduced a, quote, super party animal named Spuds McKenzie during the Super Bowl in 1987. Okay, what made this dog a super party? Did the dog, did the, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm not familiar with uh, Mr. McKenzie's work. Um, <laughs> did he drink the beer? Uh, more of a like, a, like a lifestyle influencer. Okay. <laughs> He was um, around the beer, and you wanted to be around Spuds McKenzie. So that is 100% Via the transitive correct. property. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, I buy this beer, cute dogs will like me more. So this is a bull terrier uh, that was bred to be a show dog and was scouted from a competition. 
Um, at I the- would love to be that talent scout. <laughs> that dog looks like it knows how to party. Uh, Spud's uh, birth name was Honey Tree Evil Eye. Why did they change it? <laughs> this would be a Bud Light right now. <laughs> if there was a dog repping it named, what is it, Evil Tree? Honey Tree Evil Eye. Wow. Called That Evie. sounds like a warrior cat. <laughs> I know, it does. Uh, so the dog called Evie, um, by owners, uh, was invited for a photo shoot, uh, and then Spuds McKenzie debuted behind a goblet of Bud Light while wearing a Delta Omicron Gamma fraternity sweatshirt. There's so much rich lore. I know, I know. this dog beard (laughs) poster. So there, so there was this kind of like macho association with Spuds, so much so, so Spuds was actually a female dog, but they worked so hard to build this image that when the dog was out in public, they would cover it with a coat so that people wouldn't see it urinate, uh, so they couldn't they get suspicious. The <laughs> Sorry, hold up. They made the dog piss all over its own clothes <laughs> to obscure its genitalia. <laughs> exactly. That sucks. That's Hey, if you were trying to figure out when the point is that it stopped being fun, it was the point where they made the dog piss on itself so that it <laughs> didn't reveal its genitalia. Well, no, somebody would hold a coat. It wasn't like they made oh, spuds. Oh, like for courtesy. Okay, urinate now it's normal. The coat. Yes. It was. You're right. <laughs> It was a team, really. Yeah, it was a team effort to hide this dog's privacy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the whole thing with Spud, so I mentioned the macho image. There was also a group of models that were called the Spudettes uh, that would accompany Spuds yeah. uh, in limousines uh, as the dog was dressed in a tuxedo. And what's the fiction there? Uh, what's this- the fiction there? Were they? Do- sorry, sorry, sorry. When you said models, do you mean dog models? I do human not. models. I mean okay, human models, cool. yes. Cool. Yes. That's good. Sure, why not? So I guess the the idea was that... A uh, sexy dog drinks cool beer. Right? Like, if this dog can attract these beautiful women, there's yeah. hope for me. Yeah. This, this strong, macho, <laughs> virile dog... Uh, there was a lot of branding built around this. So Fleischman Hillard, which is also local. You, what, you were waiting for an applause <laughs> break for Fleischmillard? Fle- Fleischman Hillard. It's a PR firm. Oh, oh, yeah. You all are familiar with every PR firm. Now that's... Okay, someone actually works there in the audience. Okay. No, their dad. Oh, their dad works there. Fine. Yeah, sure. I have an uncle who works at Nintendo. <laughs> um, so one of the PR reps at the time was interviewed uh, about the experience of branding Spuds. And he said, the first question we'd always get would be, what kind of dog is Spuds? To which I would reply, he's not a dog. He's an executive. And then he would go on to insist that it, Spuds was a human man, a senior party consultant, to be specific. That's extremely great, actually. I love every <laughs> second of that. Well done. 
I hate telling <laughs> PR firms that they've done an incredible job, but that's incredible to just live in that world. And yeah, and so that was that was the whole thing. They would never acknowledge that it was a dog, even though it was very clearly a dog. The idea yeah. was that, like, I don't know. The... Did you see the babes he was with? <laughs> that, that can't be a dog. Uh, so the mascot, as I mentioned, was retired in 1989. The rumors spread about what happened to Spuds. There was a article in People magazine that debunked that Spuds did not die in a limo crash or or while strapped to a surfboard. <laughs> That's how I want to go out. Strapped to a surfboard inside of a limo that is driving irresponsibly. Uh, in, in fact, Honey Tree Evil Eye died in 1993 after four years of retirement at 10 years old due to kidney failure. But okay, four years of retirement for a dog is a I nice know, long time. I know. Um, can I do my second thing? Because it's I, I'm shifting my order around to really oh, okay. dovetail. All right. Because I'm also talking about beer animals. It's the Anheuser Busch Clydesdales. <laughs> Are you kidding me with these guys? <laughs> if okay, a brief history lesson for the one of you who doesn't know all about the Anheuser-Busch Clydesdales. So after Prohibition ended back in, you know, whatever, grandpa times, um, <laughs> August Anheuser-Busch Jr. bought some big-ass horses as a gift for his dad, August Anheuser-Busch Sr., as like a fun present. He told him like, hey, come outside. There's a cool car waiting for you. And he was like, whoa, and he came outside. But it was a grip of horses instead. <laughs> And he was like, this is a kick-ass gift, son. I love you so much. I'm going to use these big horses to sell beer now. And so he arranged this great beer tour starting in New York where a team of just these absolute units pulling a beer wagon uh, made a trip, just a whistle-stop tour of all the spots, the hot spots in New England. First, they stopped by uh, former go New York Governor Al Smith, uh, who helped end prohibition, delivered a couple cases of some cold ones, which I'm sure he appreciated. At one point, they did stop at the White House and were like, FDR, do you want to party? Spuds McKenzie's not invented yet, but so, let's workshop this. So they were like, hey, here's our beer and look at these horses. Is that what you're saying? Uh, they were like, yeah, no, it was more, no, the other way around. It was like, hey, come check out these horses. And while we've got your attention. <laughs> okay. I don't know how one develops the mindset of that looks at their big horse gift and thinks like, I could s sell beer with these very easily. And, but that is exactly what happened. And it was pretty successful considering that there's a Super Bowl commercial every time that's like, are you going to get emotional about these big horses this year, Griffin? <laughs> and the, whimsy is an emotion, I suppose. So yes, they always make me whimsical, but I don't get teary. I don't know if that is a St. Louis tradition of, there's our big horses. <laughs> there are currently three teams of eight Clydesdale horses with two alternates with each team in case one breaks down, which is Ew. not. I'm, I'm delivering some harsh truths about animals <laughs> tonight. Uh, just traveling internationally, just slinging, slinging brewskis. Uh, and here's some stats of what's required to earn a spot as a Budweiser Clydesdale. Uh, so those of you in the audience that are interested in being a Clydesdale. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you've been disqualified. Uh, <laughs> to qualify for one of the hitches, a Budweiser Clydesdale must be a gelding, 
castrated uh, with an even temperament, I wouldn't be, uh, and strong <laughs> draft horse appearance. I'm out a lot at this point. Must be at least four years old. Check. Stand at least 18 hands. <laughs> 72 inches high at the withers, your shoulder blades. Horse words are good. Yeah, they are. Uh, 18 hands at the withers when fully mature and weigh between 1,800 and 2,300 pounds. I'm shy of that. In addition, <laughs> each horse must be bay in color, a reddish-brown coat with a black mane and tail, have four white stocking feet, and a blaze of white on the face. There's... Who is the evaluator for this... You know what it reminds me of is the Rockettes. The Rockettes. I think this is even probably a little bit more specific on the Rockettes. <laughs> because it, do they look at the horses and they're like, okay, okay, 1,900 pounds, 19 hands tall, castrated, loving it. Um, <laughs> white stocking feet, loving it so far. Oh, no white blaze on the face. Out. Destroy him. <laughs> they breed like a million horses a year just trying to get these, the chosen one to come out. Anyway, none of this makes any sense to me. Uh, but I guess that's why it's good commercials. Um, because, man, I do love a cold, cold bud. Do you like the horse beer or the dog beer better? Which one's your favorite? <laughs> oh, man. That is, you know, do I have to choose? You don't. <laughs> I choose neither pretty much every day of my life. That's very, that's Every fair. day of my life, I open the fridge and confront the Budweiser and Bud Light waiting for me there. And I say, no, not, 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 not today. today. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality. And you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people, you can, you can sell uh, your time. Yeah, you can do that also. Anything is possible. That's um, th for the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial they had. That was my voice yelling, anything is possible. In the wow. Background. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Hey, head to squarespace.com slash wonderfulpod for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code wonderfulpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Griffin? Yeah. You know, it's a shame. What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. 
with I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Max Fun Drive 2022 starts in just one week. Monday, April 25th. We'll have exclusive Max Fun Drive gifts, awesome episodes, bonus content, and you know what else? You'll just have to tune in. We have some tricks up our sleeve. Sleeves? Tricks? Is it plural? We'll catch you next week. The greatest time to support the podcasts you love. Max Fun Drive starts on Monday, April 25th. Don't miss it. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively once and for all time for all of the people of the world, questions like who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC, or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time, and we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. What's your second thing? Do you want to hear my next thing? Yes, please, please. All right, this is one of those things, for those of you that have have left the city of St. Louis, I I imagine you've had the experience of realizing that certain things are regional. Uh, And one thing I did not realize was regional was Werenberg Theaters. I have fucking no idea what that is. Uh, So... Hopefully this will be exciting to you all, too. Um, I have asked uh, Paul to queue up. <laughs> you, could, you could play literally anything right now. <laughs> you could play all of Live Aid right now and it'd be like, oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> Uh, when one attended a Werenberg Theater in the 90s, one heard a very powerful song at the beginning of the film, and I would like Paul to play that song now in its entirety. <laughs> Oh, it's just starting. It's not going to get better. Than that. <laughs> Frank, Frank <Ash>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
My life is <laughs> divided into two very distinct <laughs> chapters. That was incredible. <laughs> so, like, you would roll up to see, like, the Lion King or whatever, uh-huh. and you would be greeted with that. Yes. That, well, I'm going to call it what it is, which is a hymn. <laughs> I felt Christ move through me. I don't know if that's what they were trying to accomplish with that arrangement, but... I don't know if you if you noticed at the end, because everybody was pretty hype, um, but there is a moment at the end where uh, you just hear the whispers. No, <laughs> I didn't hear that! What do, they, what do they whisper? Whisper it to me now. Werenberg. Holy shit, wait, hold on. <laughs> wait, absolute silence? Everyone do that again. Wow. So I didn't realize that was regional. (laughs) Do you realize how much better the world would be (laughs) if every theater opened with that for every movie until the end of time? So Werenberg Theaters, uh, prior to being sold to Marcus Theaters in 2016. Boom! (laughs) There's like, Marcus Theaters, you get what we got. (laughs) Fuck you. Uh, The Werenberg chain was the oldest family-owned and managed movie operation in the U.S. Okay. Did they have like one very, 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 very cool grandson that was like, yeah, let me just lay something down for you. This... (laughs) This is what's so frustrating. Like, I would do a whole segment on just that song, but yeah. I could not find who sang it, when it was recorded, where it was recorded. I couldn't find anything about that. Oh, that's tragic. I even, is... I even went into some, like, Reddit feeds, like, digging around, trying to... Is that what you were doing on Nexus Lexus the other night? <laughs> Searching for peer-reviewed Werenberg theater history. So, Werenberg, not just St. Louis, it started in St. Louis, but it also had theaters in Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota. Okay. But had nine theaters in the St. Louis metro area. Sweet. Uh, Fred Werenberg was inspired to start the movie house by, after attending the 1904 World's Fair. Okay. So, he rolled up. He was like, oh, hey, there's theater stuff happening now. That's, I'm you just know, imagining. That's a Fred impression that I, I do. Yeah, I'm imagining, though, there was a performer at the 1904 World's Fair that was like, hey, check this out. <laughs> and he was like, whoa, I got to make a theater to go with that. <laughs> uh, so he wanted, to, he wanted to bring that to the public, so he rented the bakery next door to his saloon. <laughs> okay. Bought a piano and 99 kitchen chairs and launched the Cherokee Theater in 1906. That's all it takes? Oh, a piano and 99 kitchen chairs and a dream and an electric guitar. (laughs) I will say, if if you are interested in Werenberg history, uh, which it sounds like you are. It sounds like tough shit because it's not out there. There is an earlier theme from the 60s and 70s. Uh, It is not nearly as jazzy. Okay. Well, it's still great. It's still great. Well, I mean, what counts as great for music has changed for me in the last four <laughs> minutes. 
Oh, you, is there more about Warenberg? Oh, I just wanted to ask a question. I'm going to ask the audience. So when Marcus Theaters bought Warenberg, the CEO told the Business Journal, I'm always asked two questions. Is the Warenberg name going to stay? And is the whisper going to stay? And he said, yes. Is there still whispering? Bullshit! Tear it down! (laughs) (sighs) Well, that's disappointing. Thanks thanks again, capitalism. You did it! (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, you want to hear my last thing? Yes. Tums. (laughs) Tums. Tums were invented, which is already wild that someone was like, I'm going to make Tums. By a dude named James Harvey Howe in 1928. That is a serial killer name, but we're going to move right past that. <laughs> and he was a pharmacist, which I guess back in the 1920s meant you could just freestyle some drugs together and be like, let's see what this does. Boop. Uh, here's the history of Tums. James Harvey Howe's uh, wife got chronic indigestion. And so he was like, let me see what I can do. And he made fucking Tums. He just invented Tums for his wife as a favor because she kept getting sick to her tummy so much. So he went down to the lab and made Tums. And then he was like, try these. And she ate them. She's like, wow, that fixed me. That's crazy. And then they, they spread like everybody was like, we got to get our hands on these Tums. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, that's the greatest love of all. If you had some sort of, well, okay, in the inverse, this would be like if you invented Tums <laughs> for my chronic stomach issues. Yes. It's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he used to work at this pharmacy that was owned by his uncle when he was a kid. So they went into uh, business together to manufacture and sell Tums. Uh, there was a radio contest to name this incredible substance. Uh, and a, a nurse called in and came up with Tums, specifically with the catchphrase that would later become the commercial tagline for a long time, which was, Tums for the tummy. So basically, everybody involved with this project was firing on all cylinders <laughs> from the start. Like six months just sitting around like, oh, God, what can we call it? What can we call it? Let's, let's leave Tums on the board. Yeah. And let's see if we get anything better. And then I think they heard Tums for the tummy, and they're like, yes. But <laughs> the, the fact that some, somebody was like, my tummy hurts. And he was like, okay, I have invented Tums for you now. That's the first wild thing. The second thing was, hey, we're having a radio contest for, to pick a name. And somebody heard that and generated not a name, but a whole brand, Tums for the tummy. Uh, it is not uh, owned in St. Louis no more. It got bought out by like four different companies before becoming a proud member of the GlaxoSmithKline conglomerate. But damn it, they are still pumping out those chalky beauties right here in St. Louis. And uh, I think that's beautiful. I used to eat Tums like they were a food group when I was a child. Because I've always had the stomach of a 70-year-old. Uh, but I don't mess with it as much anymore because, you know, I like to purify my body sort of through natural means. Um, but if I'm ever, you know, having a rough time down there and somebody's like, hey, you want some Tums? The answer is always going to be yes. If they say Rolaids. You're going to say, say for my tummy? For my tummy? Yes, absolutely. Get those Rolaids and put them back in the dumpster where you fish <laughs> them out of. Last time your parents visited uh, our house, your dad asked if uh, we had any Tums. And I was like, oh, no, actually, we don't have any Tums. And I felt like it had been an enormous failing on my part. (laughs) And it created a rift. 
between me and your parents that I don't think will ever be repaired. <laughs> What's your last thing? Uh, my last thing is Vest Soda. Are you familiar? Vest Soda? <laughs> V-E-S-S. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about soda that you would take into a Werenberg Theater stuck in your vest. <laughs> Uh, another thing didn't know was regional. Okay. Uh, left the city, can't find it anywhere anymore. Uh, one of those great sodas that has like a hundred flavors. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, All I'm sure equally delicious. <laughs> we've got cherry cola, black cherry, pineapple, peach, pina colada, strawberry, grape, blue raspberry, and kiwi strawberry. And the original orange soft drink called Whistle. Whistle. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of literally any of this before. Mm-hmm. I loved orange soda as a kid. Yeah. Do you want to do the whole Kenyan and Kel thing? Or <laughs> no. do you have that prepared? No. Or? no. Uh, so Vess started in St. Louis. Its slogan was the Billion Bubble Beverage, which I... That sounds terrible. I find it <laughs> That's really... That's way too many bubbles, man. ...sonically pleasing, though. The Billion Bubble Beverage. Oh, I thought you were talking about the beverage itself. You open it up and a, the sound of a billion bubbles <laughs> all trying to escape at the same time. <laughs> Has a sort of concussive effect. Oh, did I mention the cream kind? There was also a cream kind. Sorry, sorry. Cream soda or just cream? <laughs> cream soda, and it was a deep pink. All right. Okay. I've seen weirder colored s- sodas. Uh, I wanted to also mention the discontinued flavors. So in the 1980s, there was a, uh, a Yoohoo uh, similar called Vest Chocolate. Was it? Uh, did it? How, and how many bubbles did it contain? <laughs> <laughs> there was also, and this is before my time. So Vest has been around since 1916. Uh, but in the 1960s, there was Braca Pop, which was based on St. Louis Cardinals base dealer Lou Brock. I thought you were going to say this was a broccoli flavor beverage. <laughs> And, and the uh, the whole like branding around that was that it was Lou Brock's quote favorite red pop. That's so specific. Because when I watch a baseball game, I think I want to drink what they're drinking. Okay, did he have did he have a partnership with Sprite at the time? So he was like, I can do your red. <laughs> I can pop, do red, but <laughs> I have to be very very careful. Uh, there's also, and again, I don't, I'm not sure. I haven't lived here in a while. Is there still the big bottle? Yeah. Okay, there was a, a giant bottle constructed in 1953, uh, which was lit by 600 feet of neon tubing. Oh, so this was not a potable sort of <laughs> no. soda experience. <laughs> no, okay. no. It, was, it was moved and then refurbished for $50,000 uh, when the company was bought. By cot. You know, I'm feeling kind of sad that all of ours end with somebody else buying it. Um, that sounds, I would like a, where, where can I acquire this? Just at any, any store in this entire city? Yeah, I looked online to see if I could get it nationally, and I, I do not believe that I can get it outside of the city. Okay. Does it have some stuff in it that can't go across <laughs> can't state travel. lines? <laughs> Uh, that's, that's it. Those are all the, those are the only six good things about the, I've been here a few times and I very, very much love this city a whole lot. And that's not pandering. I really do like coming here, but I will say that you all have created nothing remotely as good as the Werenberg theater song (laughs) that I have seen. 
So I'm saying that like that spark of brilliance is there. They sold it on cassette tapes in the lobby. I didn't mention that, but you could own that. <laughs> and get you close out the show while I get on eBay. Oh, he yeah, he's doing it. Um, thank you all for coming. This, this was a uh, 100% a dream that I didn't know I had, yeah. uh, and I am really grateful to have lived it out. So yeah. thank you all. You always, you always wanted front row seats to see the Blues lose in overtime <laughs> and to perform in front of your hometown crowd. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. Uh, thank you all very, very much. Have a nice bathroom time, because I certainly will. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.